Hello and welcome to True Love No Shame, a podcast on recovering from Christian purity culture. I'm Danny Fankhauser, author of Shameless, How I Lost My Virginity and Kept My Faith. You can learn more at shamelessthebook.com. I'm here today with Ashadaya. We actually met through a Facebook group of former Christian conservatives, and she's working on this amazing documentary series project that's about abortion. So actually, I meant to ask you this. Does the series have a name yet? Yeah, it does. It's called Life at All Costs, which is a a working title, but I really like what it entails and what it encompasses. So, so far, I'm keeping it. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. And so I would love to hear a little more about your background. It sounds like you also grew up in kind of the evangelical church. What was that like? And what region are you from? and, And what kind of church background was it? Yeah, absolutely. So I was born in England and did most of my growing up in Australia. My family and I migrated over there when I was really young and I only moved to the United States in 2008. So I've been here for almost 10 years, but the majority of my evangelical upbringing was in Australia and it is a little different. Well, it definitely was when I was growing up. There was no sense of being brought up to be politically active at all. Like I had no interest in politics growing up, but the influence of American evangelicalism was definitely felt as far reaching as Australia. I mean, we grew up knowing about Focus on the Family, James Dobson, and highly encouraged to read I Kiss Dating Goodbye. I think what else? Like all the stereotypical like pop culture, evangelical things that a lot of Americans grew up with. We kind of grew up with two messages about purity and no sex before marriage. But yeah, so that was kind of my upbringing. And it wasn't until I moved to the United States that it became even more like intensely political. And I realized that, oh, okay, this is a thing. Like religion and politics is like this intertwined movement and learning about the history of the religious right and how it came about. But for the most part, it was just about messages we were taught through youth group and through the worship team, which I was a part of, and just general church messages and, you know, the standard purity culture, you know, messages about bodies and kind of subtle shaming in that way. And it wasn't until I looked back, now that I know what I know, I realized like, oh, that was, that's like a part of, that's an extension of American evangelicalism. So in a nutshell, mm. that's, that's my upbringing. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting. I mean, for me, it was very similar how there were certain things that I learned about through church and abortion was one of them where, you know, the church, you know, election season would kind of say, if you're a Christian, you have to vote for this candidate because they have this opinion on this one issue. And, you know, it was something where I'd kind of like go to school and maybe hear something different, but like the the church was like a, a very strong voice on that topic. And how do you point about politics? Mm, that's so fascinating to me because I I'd never, I don't think I ever really heard the word abortion growing up. And if it was said, uh-huh. I just either didn't listen to it. So it definitely wasn't like ingrained into us the way mm-hmm. it is with youth here or was with youth here. So that's why it's so fascinating to me how it's like drilled into your head. I remember reading one blog post from a former conservative fundamental person who came from this community and they were like, we were taught to outbreed, outvote and outactivate everyone else in the quote unquote secular world. It was like, 
holy crap, that's a really interesting <laughs> Actually told with those words. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that is in a nutshell what it is. So, yeah, it's super fascinating to me, especially the, like, the hyper-focus on abortion, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was kind of like this is the one political issue that, that matters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't until I was actually in college at a Christian college and it was an election year and I, you know, turned to this girl next to me in class and was like, oh, who are you voting for? And she's voting for the Democrat candidate. And I was like, oh, but like, what about abortion? And, and she was like, well, like, I'm not a, a single issue voter. Mm-hmm. And I, I had never heard that term before. But that's, that's when I realized, like, that's what we were doing. And, and then I was like, mm-hmm. oh, what are the other issues, you know, mm-hmm. and that kind of like got me on like the, the journey of, of being like, oh, there's like social services and like, you know, how we, you know, care for people who are homeless and, um, you know, people who are single parents and um, all these other issues that, that actually, you know, I would say Democrats have kind of a, a more moral viewpoint on. Yeah, I think there's this idea that abortion happens in a vacuum or in isolation away from other social mm-hmm. issues and they don't. But that's what we're taught to think. And even just the four or five years that I was part of a fundamental church, when I first became politically um, minded, I had no inclination or was not taught like, well, the reason why women choose abortion is because X, Y, Z and because of these social situations. It was just abortion is wrong, abortion is murder, it's evil, blah, blah, blah. But then it wasn't until I left that church that I started realizing oh, it's because of economic issues or health issues Mm -hmm. or just all these other reasons. I'm like, okay, there's more to this than just the black and white narratives. Why don't we talk about that? And so that's kind of one of the reasons why I want to use my extensive media background to, you know, create this docuseries in the hope that it will generate more nuanced discussion. Yeah. And I, I like your description of it. You said explore whether finding ground common ground between pro-life and pro-choice is possible. Mm. And so were you personally pro-life at one point and then had a, a change? I So it, growing up in Australia, I would never have even known the terms pro-life and pro-choice, but it wasn't until I moved to America that it was like, oh, you're a Christian. You, oh, you have to be very conservative. You are pro-life. And I remember talking about Obama, not even knowing anything about politics, but just hearing everyone around me in my church and um, my close friends and family at that time were like, oh, yeah, Obama's the devil because he is allowing people to kill their babies as soon as they're born. Just something so far-fetched, ridiculous that, Uh like, how was I even regurgitating that out not knowing a single factual piece of information? But that's, like, the way I thought. So I assumed, like, Oh yeah, like I'm against abortion. I'm I'm pro-life. But then, you know, kind of once I stepped back from that, I was like, well, judging by what the pro-life movement generally speaking stands for, that's not me because if they don't and this is not like every single person in that movement because there are, you know, every individual person has nuance obviously in the way that they think and feel about an issue, but generally speaking, it's more about political activism than it is genuinely caring for the entire lifespan of people you know from conception to death like there's a lot of missing gaps in that and there's this idea that if you're pro-choice you don't care about life and that's also not true 
So, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess I would have definitely identified as pro-life and I, yeah, I, I kind of shudder to think of the things that I just regurgitated because that's what was said and I just thought it was true because I thought that they knew what they were talking about. Mm-hmm, totally. Yeah, and I, and I think that's that's what's so interesting for me and in that, you know, kind of once I had that turning point, realizing that you know, like this focus, like it's, it's just such an emotional argument that people on the pro-life side are making and kind of like onto this idea of killing innocent babies. And, you know, again, from the church I grew up in, which was very passionate about this, they were supportive of these organizations that would, they had these trucks with these huge blown up photos of an aborted baby on them. And like, they were very supportive of this like type of activism. And because, yeah, it's, you know, they're so passionate about that, but, but then they're not supporting like economic help for, for single parents or or something like that, where it's like, here's something that would actually reduce the number of abortions. Right. And, and so it's like how, you know, I think that's what I feel like gets stuck. It's like, how do you talk about this when like, you know, it seems like abortion's not really what they're against because they're not doing the things that would reduce abortions well that's it i mean even just having the conversation where it's like you're not actually against just abortion because that's like when you look at it on a a timeline say for instance you know the the reproductive timeline abortion at the very end you've got to start at the beginning it's about unintended Mm -hmm. pregnancy so how do you reduce that because once you look at it from that angle then you have to look at well what was the sex education she was brought up with and what was her access to birth control or healthcare like? And what's a financial situation? Was there rape or assault involved? Like once you start kind of adding those extra questions, it becomes challenging to a person who has their, you know, very headstrong and, and emotional, like you said, belief in this issue of abortion. So that's kind of like what I'm, I'm trying to do with this docuseries. It's like, it's not even just about abortion. It's about how do we really look at the issue of life? You know, this uh, abortion is such a, hyper divisive topic but once you break it down and ask more questions it does become a little bit more complex and a little bit more conflicting and it was kind of like a slow burn away from the pro-life identification and one of the big events I I guess you would say that helped me push me more towards a pro-choice belief was one of my really good friends who I'm still good friends with to this day she also used to go to this church with me and she doesn't anymore, but she, I, I think, would still classify herself as Christian and pro-life. She was always like the on-fire missionary girl, you know, like preaching the name of Jesus, leading youth worship, all this kind of stuff. And she, and she's very open about her story now, but she ended up having a one-night stand and got pregnant. And her mm-hmm. first thought was, oh, I'm going to... I'll just go down to Planned Parenthood and just get an abortion and quote-unquote get rid of the mistake and God Mm -hmm. will forgive me and I'll move on and go back to being, you know, right and good and all that. I was like, that is fascinating to me that you're more scared of someone knowing that you had sex before marriage and seeing the visible consequences of that than Mm -hmm. you are having an abortion, something that you have been openly protesting against. So... And so now she ended up, so she went to Planned Parenthood and she started the process of getting an abortion, a medication abortion where you take a series of pills because it was early 
enough in her pregnancy. Then she decided not to do that and she ended up having her daughter who's now like almost five or six. But going through that experience made her realize, okay, there's more to this than just abortion is murder. She's not an overly political person, but she she does say, you know, I'm no no longer very judgmental. I know now that everyone's situation is different. You have no idea what they're going through. So I, I see that there are glimpses of possibility for people to change their mind. But I don't think you should have to go through it. Like I personally have never had an abortion, but I have seen both sides and I have changed my mind. And so it is possible to show empathy. I think it's just a matter of how, you know, meeting people in the way that they digest information and presenting it in a way that doesn't feel threatening or intimidating to them in any way. So that's another thing I'm very mindful of is not being like, well, I was once you and now I think like this and you're wrong and I'm right. I think that also doesn't, you know, that's also not productive. So it's, it's, it's really tough to find the balance is like, how do I, you know, make a TV show and market it to a production company that's going to be interesting and compelling and, you know, it ticks all the boxes for a network in Hollywood, but also reaches the right audience, you know, so that's, that's a balance that I'm, working through and navigating as I continue to develop this idea. Yeah. And I think you bring up a really good point because I, I think I've noticed this too with, you know, people on the, the liberal side who are pro-choice who kind of have this attitude of, you know, like you're dumb if you disagree with me and this is, right. you know, ridiculous and, and just not having a lot of patience for people. And, and from my experience, I know that people can change their minds because I did. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I think, there's a little bit there in terms of, you know, on the pro-choice side, they also see it as very black and white and either you're for women's rights or, or not. Right. Yeah, I think that's a good, you, you do bring up a good point. I mean, for the most part, I, I would much prefer to be, if I had to choose, I mean, I identify as pro-choice, but I think both terms are a little bit too limiting and I think it's time for an update uh, mm-hmm. around the reproductive yeah. rights conversation. But I, I do have a problem when, you know, people on the pro-choice side, especially those who ha- maybe haven't come from a religious background and just kind of brush them all off as like, oh, those crazy conservatives or crazy Christians or crazy whatever. It's like the majority of people in the pro-life movement are, you know, genuinely have a heartfelt care for women and children. You know, the, the average person, I, I want to believe that they do they're just really misguided because they've been taught and activated in a very politicized lens as opposed to a social humanitarian lens, which is that that's the difference there. It's just easy to think of the pro-life movement as the really extreme operation rescue people and the, the group behind those doctored Planned Parenthood videos. And it's like, Oh, they represent uh, the pro-life movement and they don't, they're a very small a very vocal minority of that side and I think that there are more people in the pro-life movement that are willing to possibly meet in the middle so that's kind of what I'm trying to explore and I know that there are people who are like well I I don't I think abortion's wrong but I'm also a big supporter of birth control like make it all accessible make it affordable make it free to whoever needs it and so I think that's once you kind of start finding those few gray areas you can find a way to 
to, you know, potentially find common ground between pro-choice and pro-life and, and muddy the waters a little bit so that it's not this divisive political thing. Because I also think that if the Republican Party lost the abortion voters, quote-unquote, the single-issue abortion voters, they wouldn't mm-hmm. win. They would not be winning. And, like, this whole Roy Moore campaign in Alabama right now, there are articles that, you know, people are just like, how can these Christians support a child molester? It's like it's because of the abortion issue. Like that's that's all it is. They, they're willing, it's the same with Trump, they're willing to overlook the fact that they're child molesters, rapists, sexual assaulters, because they know that they'll get these Supreme Court judges, they know that they'll vote along party lines for this single issue. Yeah, uh, I think that's so interesting too because it is it is kind of like a you know a dominoes I guess where like if if you could change people's way of thinking about this one issue there would be you know results down the road. So with the the documentary series, what's what's kind of you know your vision or, or what your goal is 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 that kind of you know hoping for actual political change from bringing up these stories. Yeah, I think so. I would love to see change in the way that people talk about this issue at at bare minimum. I would love to, obviously I would love to see minds change, but at the very least I would love people who are very dogmatic in their view on abortion to be challenged, to see a different perspective. So each of the episodes are going to tackle a different subject. Like one is going to be birth control, one is going to be paid leave, Another is going to be sex education because, you know, the sex education landscape in our country right now is still very, very backward. Like why are we still teaching abstinence only, pumping millions and millions of government money into it when it leads to higher rates of teen pregnancy and STDs? It does not work. So we need to have a conversation about that. So I would love to see people who are very passionate about abortion on both sides, but especially within the pro-life movement, go, okay, it's, we don't need to, it shouldn't have to be about like making abortion illegal or overturning Roe versus Wade. That's not going to stop abortion or reduce unintended pregnancies, but focusing on one of these issues is. And the other part, the other aspect of the, of the series is like examining issues that expose the hypocritical aspect of especially the pro-life movement we have the highest maternal mortality rate in the developed world our rates are going up and the rest of the developed world is going down and it that that rate is three to four times higher for black women where are the hundreds of bills in state and federal legislatures to fix this issue well there aren't and when it comes to foster care there are over four hundred thousand children in the system today that are waiting to be adopted and you know meanwhile there are people picketing outside abortion clinics what about those kids languishing in group homes and being abused and there's a lot of abuse going on in, in the foster care system and there's a lot of overhaul needed but they don't have that there's no march for foster care lives as there is the march for life in washington dc every year on the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. So th- th- those issues, I, I'm like, I, I want people to see, okay, if I really am pro-life, what does it mean to respect 
all lives and protect and support lives. So that's the other aspect of the Dr. Fields. Yeah, I like I like how you have it split up from all the different angles. That's that's really great. And I think that's also a really interesting point. Uh, you know, it's it seems like there's a lack of responsibility from the pro-life side where they kind of want to say here's what you can do and not do, but but then you don't you don't see a pro-life family adopting a child that, you know, the mother wasn't able to take care of. Right. Yeah, there are documentaries. There's a really great one called Twelfth in Delaware. It's on HBO, and it's it's about this intersection. I, I can't remember which state it was in, but it's a conservative state. Where on one side of the street there's an abortion clinic, and directly across the road there's there's like a a crisis pregnancy center, and there are so the documentary is about the conflict between the two and the protesters. I stand on the, the sidewalk outside the abortion clinic and you see these people, you know, shouting at women and pleading with them like, don't abort your baby, I'll help you, I'll give you money. And they say things like, I'll go to the ATM right now, what do you need? I'll give you whatever you can, just don't abort your baby. I'm like, beyond giving them, you know, what, 200 bucks, 300 bucks or giving them some diapers, what else are you doing to ensure they have the support they need to raise that children, that child? day to day so they have healthcare, they have education, they have emotional and mental support. Like there's a reason why that mother is going to their clinic. Find out that reason first and meet her in that place of need rather than just shoving your agenda with a gruesome sign and, you know, using slogans that are almost like targeted harassment. You know, when you talk about those gruesome signs that people hold, that's not a welcoming invitation to, you know, bring every child into this world. That feels like harassment and just really disgusting intimidation. Like that's not a way to support women and children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's really not not a very Christian message either in, in terms of like if you think about like the way that, you know, you'd expect Christians to to address the world around them and the people around them. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't remember Jesus holding any sign picketing outside, you know, yeah. houses yeah. where people were drinking herbal potions to give himself an abortion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, so I wanted to also go back to uh, how you're saying kind of there's these two different sides and there should really be, you know, multiple sides or maybe just a third side and kind of one way, the way that I would identify is kind of more of like a, a solutions based version where it's like, okay, like we're, we're not going to make this illegal because that's, causes so many other issues but like you know from start to finish how can we reduce the number of unwanted pregnancies and you know and also reduce the stigma around pregnancy like you were saying your friend who who got pregnant and it's Mm. it's just like if if there wasn't that stigma especially in religious communities it would be a lot easier for for women to have babies and you know if there was better daycare systems or if more companies offered that for women, you know, it'd be yeah. a lot easier for them to, yeah. to be able to have a job to care for the baby and, and also, you know, have the child. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, America is also the only industrialized nation in the world not to have any federal paid leave program. Certain companies will offer it if you're lucky enough to work for them. Certain states offer it if you work for a certain type of company, you'll earn over a certain amount. But generally speaking, 
we don't have it. Like, why is America the only country that doesn't have it? You know, in countries like where I come from in Australia, women get, uh, I think it's only like 18 weeks paid. So no matter what end of the spectrum you're on, you know you're going to have that support when you have a child. So I think that's a really important point you bring up in terms of being solution-oriented. It's so easy to point the finger and look at what's wrong, like they shouldn't be doing that, don't do this, don't do that. Okay, well, what should we be doing? How do we support women and children? And how? what does it look like to bring every single child to term and how do we support their lives so they have the best opportunities? Well, then you have to get into like actual specific issues and introduce legislation rather than banning people from getting an abortion. And I also think, you know, when I imagine trying to find common ground between pro-choice and pro-life, imagine the power that we could have as one galvanized group of people. You know, both sides of this issue are very passionate. Imagine if those passions were brought together and we tackled the issue of maternal mortality and reduced those rates or we started campaigning for more people to adopt kids through the foster care system or have better access to birth control, like, that would really shake up the entire our entire political system because there are many political leaders who would have no platform to campaign on because we would have taken control of this issue ourselves as, as citizens and people. And to me, that's like a really powerful thought and I hope it will happen one day and that's something I want to work towards. But also when you think about criminalizing abortion, overturning these laws, I think not enough people follow that thought the very end degree like what does it mean that if we make abortion legal we're going to put doctors in jail we're going to put women in jail for getting abortion the other thing we should also remember is that america is the most incarcerated country on the planet so we're going to add to that by putting women who get abortions in jail no we don't want that and i know that most pro-life people don't want that so then it goes back to well we have to find solutions and that means we have to drop our barriers. We have to like be challenged in our way of thinking and be willing to hear the other side because solutions often may come in or through avenues that we never thought we'd be advocating for, such as birth control. A lot of people in the conservative community don't want to advocate for birth control. But if it's a choice between abortion or birth control, you better be choosing birth control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think are the other misconceptions about either pro-life or pro-choice that come up a lot? I think that there's this misconception that all pro-choice people are just about abortion on demand all day, every day, all the time, which is not true. And in fact, I've spoken to a lot of pro-choice people who are like, oh yeah, I'm all for choice. Women should have the dignity and space to make their choices with their family and their doctor. I, and you know, I, then I also then say, I personally am against abortion. I wouldn't choose it, but I'm not gonna force some other woman to make the decision that I would make. I'm like, okay, that, that's nuance right there. I think that isn't talked about enough. They just think like, oh, all those baby killers, all those women championing baby killers. It's like, no, that's not it at all. The, the word choice is not about just wanting to quote unquote kill a baby, as they would say. And I think for the pro-life side, there's this misconception that they're all 
extremists. And I don't believe that's true. I think the majority are very moderate and are open to hearing solutions about birth control and reforming our sex education and having more conversations about maternal mortality and foster care and paid leave. So I think once we, there, there needs to be more of an effort to break down those barriers and to just, what's the word, reclaim the narrative from the political leaders and the political landscape because they have not done this issue justice at all. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. So one thing I always like to ask people on this podcast is, you know, with the podcast kind of being for people who might have grown up conservative and had like the purity culture kind of movement where they were taught, you know, not to have sex till they were married. And, you know, so the podcast is kind of about how to rethink that. So I always like to ask what something a a former conservative should know about sex. A former conservative. You mean someone who has kind of left the conservative movement and has changed their views on on sex and purity or is, is looking for a new perspective? Yeah, yeah. I think someone who maybe grew up with that purity culture and, and maybe missed out on, on the sex education and, you know, maybe later in life is is kind of trying to understand how to think about sex in a way that's that's not really, like, strict. Got it. I think the first thing I would say is that your body and sexuality is nothing be ashamed of. There's a reason why we have hormones. There's a reason why we feel certain feelings towards people. And none of that should be looked at as something dirty or wrong. I think there's a way to guide and channel our feelings and our sexuality in a way that's healthy and that doesn't denigrate who we are as human beings. I mean, sexuality and sex is it, you know, if, if you are a Christian, you identify that way. It's something created from God, right? So why looking at it as something that's so shameful? And I think it's there are a lot of resources that people coming out of that community can turn to, you know, people like yourself who are talking about it, having these conversations and making people feel like they're not alone in this world and being more inclusive and you know, not condemning people for their choices or thinking a certain way. But I think for every person, it's an individual journey in terms of undoing and deconstructing all those harmful and negative messages that purity culture really ingrained into people, and most especially women, you know, like this idea that you're responsible for not being sexually assaulted or not making men stumble, that that good nugget. It's like, I'll dress modestly. well, you think someone dressed in a pair of scrubs is not going to get raped? No. I think then there just needs to be more openness and less shaming when it comes to talking about our bodies and, and understanding that everyone's desires are normal. Pleasure is a very normal and healthy thing to have. And, yeah, we shouldn't be demonizing people for having these because every human has them. Yeah, I think the judgment piece is really interesting. You're kind of trained to judge other people, but then you also judge yourself and and then feel kind of cut off from those desires or or guilty for them um which is so destructive yeah i'm definitely still like learning and processing all of those messages and trying to replace them with more healthy loving messages for myself and toward others because we are taught to judge others like we're told to be you know like soldiers for the kingdom of god and what that means is that we kind of 
call each other out or, you know, quote unquote, call each other accountable. And I think that airs on the side of, I'm going to condemn you for doing that because that's what I was taught to do rather than let me help you. Let me, how can I support you? Let's talk about this. And it makes me sad that often the church is the last place that people go to when they want to talk about sexuality or pleasure or sex education or abortion or all those things. Like, why is it the last place? We need to completely change that culture. And if not, leave the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Aisha. And thank you all for listening to True Love, No Shame. We'll be back soon with more. 